this is indeed the P4B. The book excerpt will cover the entire episode today. So between now and the time this episode drops, you'll receive a few quick hits here on the P4B to reflect my reactionary right-wing views. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. Okay, to the book. Today's topic is Race and Foreign Policy, Chapters 13 and 14. Street Politics, It Ain't Your Daddy's GOP Anymore, by Matt Jordan, copyright 2015, formerly 16-2024, A Path to Consistent Conservative Victory, All Rights Reserved. Chapter 13, Race. I guess it all depends on whom you ask and when you ask. Race, I've learned, is in the eye of the beholder. That's from Raquel Cepeda. Bird of Paradise, How I Became a Latina. Hockey is a sport for white men. Basketball is a sport for black men. Golf is a sport for white men dressed up like black pimps. That's from Tiger Woods. I cannot believe the kid gloves we use to handle this subject. Please, someone remind me, are we actually stuck in a 1970s movie of the week? Is life now a never-ending episode of Room 222? Please! There is one and only one correct approach a politician can take on the issue of someone's race. I don't care. No matter what office you might be running for, you need to make it 100% clear that you don't care what color a citizen is or what ethnic group their parents hail from. And I don't mean that you don't care in the tolerant, colorblind, sweetness and light sense. I mean, you don't give a crap either way. Besides, what adult wants to be tolerated anyway? In the wrap-up, I'll discuss the rhetorical power curve but in the case of race and American politics, we have utterly surrendered to the rhetoric of the left, the extreme crybaby left. The result is Republicans are left to sound like babbling idiots. Some of my best friends are black, Latino, Asian, Lithuanian. 2023 update. Even puppets play along sometimes. Joe Biden is more Puerto Rican, Jewish, and black than most Puerto Ricans, Jews, and blacks. He said so. Every week, some low-life Democrat throws the race card, and like idiots, Republicans line up to talk about how important whatever flavor of race we're talking about is to the very fiber of this country. We hear that we must work harder to, quote, include people of all races in the GOP, and what a poor job we've done to date. Guess what, guys? 
whatever the race in question, black, Asian, Latino, isn't buying this stuff. And the activists are just recording the endless apologies to use next week when they call you a racist again. Stop defending yourself. The response to the charges of racism is, I don't care about race. If I'm the dog catcher and I pander to any race, all others will assume I have a bias toward that race. When I tell a race I really, really care about them because of their race, especially if it is different than my own, then they know I am pandering, which is to say they know for certain I am a racist. So if you come to my dog pound in search of your lost dog, as your dog catcher, I'm going to help you find your dog. I will do it because you are a citizen that my office serves. I don't care what race you are. It's not my job to give a rip about your race. If that troubles you, vote for someone who is racist and thinks you need to be coddled because you belong to a group that can't function like other races. If you want me to care about your race, you'll be sadly disappointed. This attitude should spread through all localities and offices all the way to Washington, D.C. Recent history. Several police units respond to reports of a man selling Lucy's, that's individual cigarettes, on a street in New York. When they arrive, they find an overweight, middle-aged man selling gasp untaxed and unregulated cigarettes. Well, a cop might say to himself, we're here and we didn't get all dressed up for nothing. So I suppose if he won't give up his stash and move along, we'll have to take him in. So far, I'm okay with it. They could probably be busting bigger fish, but they are here. But the takedown in this case resulted in a man's death. Yeah, I have to throw the bullshit flag on that one. Lucy's don't rise to the level of strangulation. Of the man's race, honest politicians should say what they were thinking when they saw the video. I don't give a red-hot damn. I wouldn't care if that was a white guy, a black guy, Latino. Do you remember when the correct PC term was Chicano? Or Asian? He was a citizen. You don't choke out a citizen in a takedown for selling Lucy's. Especially if he says repeatedly, I can't breathe. If he were Lithuanian, uh, well, no. You don't strangle the Lithuanians either. Some people this week are cheering the Clinton woman for her disingenuously pandering to them with her Black Lives Matter remark. She is by far the least sincere politician in the United States. The listeners should resent such blather. Her speechwriters put that line in there because it was trending on BuzzFeed. Only weak, self-centered people actually want to be spoken of in such a patronizing way. If you live long enough, you get to see just about everything. We got to see O'Malley embarrass himself with a phony apology for saying all lives matter. If you favor the meme of the month that black lives or the lives of any demographic matter more than another, 
then you're another person who should put this book down. You are too far gone to make any good use of the information found here. So drop the book and walk away. Institutional Racism There are only a few places where institutional racism survives today. There is the KKK, the Aryan Brotherhood, the New Black Panthers, La Raza, any institution that uses quotas in hiring, admissions, or advancement. And anywhere Al Sharpton is standing and not being arrested for tax evasion. That last one is a twofer. In the rest of society, we have two obvious types of individual racists. The mouth breathers, often portrayed here as Billy Bobs, believe that God created the world for white people. They think when races intermarry, they are actually damaging the gene pool, though they have nary a clue what the gene pool is. Until recent decades, they uniformly identified with the Democratic Party. I'd like to send the ones who became Republicans back. The power-hungry racists are the ones who insist that certain races cannot make their way in this world and must be controlled and conditioned to accept the, quote, assistance of their betters. This was true from Margaret Sanger through FDR to B.J. Bill's wife. These people who consider themselves superior over the races to which they pander are enabled by the Sharptons of all races who make the money telling people they have no hope. Okay, I know there are some of you saying I shouldn't just use Mob rat number seven in so many examples. And you're right. I could have just as easily gone with the David Dukes of all races. Duke reemerged from the slime over the last couple years, trying to make anti Semites out of our young people when Israel was stomping the scumbags that destroyed Gaza and rocketed Israel. He calls himself Dr. David Duke now. That gets funnier and funnier every time I hear it. Google him. One might fairly suspect he doesn't like Palestinians any more than he likes Jews or black people. There's still another kind of racist. These folks consider themselves the most benign. They don't even know they're racist. And they are everywhere. They are the ones trying to catalog racial firsts. I contend that they are just as detrimental as any other racist because they maintain the myth of other. Happily, they have pretty much outlasted their usefulness. We have minority astronauts. A woman has held the two most powerful offices in the United States, National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, and she was black. An Asian man heads the Treasury. We have the first black totalitarian community organizer in the Oval Office. Jamaica sent a bobsled team to the Winter Olympics. There are no more racial firsts worth speaking of. With the possible exception of the first Laotian to head up the NAACP. Teaching time. It is one thing for a conservative candidate to say, Well, jeepers, we welcome all races to our party. But the candidate who diminishes the significance of demographics in this country 
is the one who inspires people across the spectrum who want to be part of this movement. And you won't inspire anyone by whimpering and apologizing. I'll take you one better. Steal the next two paragraphs. Use them whenever you want without attribution. I'm running a campaign around critical issues that face all of us. If you invite me, a candidate for federal office, to your town, house of worship, school, factory, don't expect me to address issues of race, class, or gender, or shoe size. I will only talk about the economy, the federal budget, national security, and interstate trade, and getting the federal government the hell out of your way so you can have a better life. If you are a person who feels they need to treat certain Americans differently, for good or for ill, based on race, sex, religion, or how many successive consonants they have in their last name, please see your way to the extreme left wing of the Democratic Party. We have no room for you in this movement. And as history shows, it is among socialists and totalitarians that racists are always the most comfortable and the most successful. We'll be back with Chapter 14 right after this. One of the most direct ways the P4B is supported is through Poe River Furniture and Yard Games. I won't get too specific about who runs Poe River, but he's really good looking and his initials are Matt Jordan. There are a number of one-of-a-kind pieces that I created including very nice wine stoppers and what I call recycled palette art. There's also a huge selection of gifts that I designed and had made off-site. Occasionally, you will see yard games listed. That will depend on how often this podcast allows me to be in the shop. I'll leave a link or a button below so you can shop Poe River. Before we move on to uh, chapter 14, it's worth noting that this book was pretty much in the can in 2014-2015. It was updated and edited during the election itself. But the conspiracies concept of argument hasn't changed. They still use the old saw of, if you don't buy the shit the left is shoveling, you're a conspiracy nut. Chapter 14, Foreign Policy, Hand Me Down My Foil Hat, Conspiracies Abound. The foreign policy of any government is a promulgation of its domestic policy. This is all too often forgotten in a period of summit meetings when the public is led to believe that there are three or four big men to solve or fail to solve the world's predicaments according to whether they have or do not have the wisdom the goodwill, or the magic wand needed for the task. That's from Isaac Deutscher, The Great Contest, Russia and the West. When I look at the quote above, I realize that Obama has pursued a foreign policy that reflects just what Deutscher was saying. Our present stance in the world reflects Obama's naive domestic policy. This is a policy that says brilliant people can manage the affairs infinitely larger than themselves. It also reflects the attitude that Obama has carried since childhood, that the United States is stronger than other countries and must be punished for that fact 
and reduced in stature. It has been said by the religiously inclined that the biggest trick the devil ever pulled off was to make people think he didn't exist. It allows them to run wild and wreak havoc unchecked. Unaware of the source of evil, people can't stop him. Similarly, the great contest of a corrupt government is a conspiracy theorist. Often labeled conspiracy freaks, these folks, if they are not too nutty in their appearance, tend to grab some headlines at first. If their complaints don't pass the smell test, they quickly fade from the public forum. The more outrageous and easily dismissed, the quicker that happens, and the moniker freak is assigned. This is often well-deserved. The most egregious that comes immediately to mind is the 9-11 video of the Twin Towers with the second 767 digitally removed. The viewer sees a hole in the shape of an aircraft suddenly appear for no apparent reason in the side of a building, followed by a fiery explosion. It was quite an effort to promote a silly argument, but sociopaths are often determined people. The problem with having these freaks gaining press is that when real criticism gets too uncomfortable, we can simply label the speaker a conspiracy freak, or in some way nuts, and feel good about ignoring their complaint. Global warming climate change alarmists do this all the time. There's a book floating around out there that says skeptics just can't accept the GWCC doom and gloom. You see, we're suffering from PTSD at the news that the climate is in such danger, and therefore the skeptics are a bit crazy. Also, the thing that heads the EPA says that we are not normal, and that is where the real trick lies. In the case of our current government, we have been played for idiots time and time again because when confronted with serious charges, the target would either treat the story as a conspiracy theory or come right out and label the Herald a freak. From Fast and Furious to Mrs. William Jefferson Clinton's emails, legitimate charges have been thwarted by thin straw man arguments and amused dismissal. White House press skank Josh Ernest does this every single day, and he gets lots of practice because his administration is by far the most corrupt totalitarian cabal in our history. Ernest doesn't spin that from the podium. He lies from behind a smirk that is utterly contemptuous of criticism or honest discourse. And our pathetic media, they simply record the moment and go for cocktails. The few who do challenge the administration will only go so far for fear of losing their press passes to the fetid sewer our executive mansion has become. They're not digging for information, nor for that matter reporting what is occurring right in front of them. Uh-oh, Hillary had an oopsie or ten. Just look at Mrs. Clinton's email scam. She erased them. She said so. Her staff said so. The State Department said so. The explanations were so childish, so breathtakingly disingenuous that one is left yelling the questions at the TV the press should be asking. Among the questions would be, what charges will the former secretary be facing? What would the likely sentence be if she were found guilty? What about her lying to Congress about Benghazi? 
The U.S. was indeed running guns to Syria via Turkey, as it turns out to the wrong people. So you can tack on real-world incompetence to homicidal incompetence. Of course, such questions about that woman being charged with anything would meet with the freak treatment mentioned above. And most of the media would go along with that. But when the truth is this obvious, a sycophantic press is not the problem. We are. It's easy to dismiss unpleasantness with dismissive labels. But in the case of this government, it is also perilous to do so. We need to stand up. We need to deal with what has happened and is happening to our country. But the above complaints are all prologue. The most immediate priority is relieving Obama of any dealings with Iran. We have watched idly as he lied about his intentions to deal with their nuclear program. The entire three-year production has been a lie. When the administration said at the beginning of negotiations that Iran was 7 to 10 years from breakout, that point in which they could weaponize a nuke, Every literate human being knew it was a lie, and yet, when he said he intended to prevent them from getting a nuke, the press pretended to believe that too. Late last year, and a year and a half into the process, the breakout point was 12 to 18 months. Hmm, that must be common core math. Still a lie, and we're already lifting sanctions. This year, when Congress said it wouldn't allow Obama to enact an agreement on his own, the American emperor said it is silly at this point to quibble. Iran was only about a month from breakout, so we need to have the agreement and keep the genie in the bottle for 10 more years. And besides, it isn't a treaty, they say. It's an executive agreement. No point in taking up Congress's time with such paltry matters. Newsflash. Nothing will stop Iran from weaponizing. Certainly not this treaty or agreement. That was never the point. More on this later. And while witnessing lie after lie, what did Boehner and McConnell do? They, quote, compromised with Obama in the way in which they would be, quote, allowed to review this worthless sham document. Congress begged Obama for oversight. Here are the two greatest offenses. One, McConnell and Boehner are the loyal opposition representing a separate and equal branch of a constitutional government. They do not work for the White House. Their job is to marshal votes for their position and issue orders in the form of bills to the White House. Such orders can be vetoed and that veto possibly overridden. But the bills carry the weight of the American will. Yet these two ineffectual idiots ask for allowances rather than insisting on doing their duty. In behaving this way through all these years, they have facilitated offense number two. Here I stand corrected on a piece I wrote in the PP&E, that's Pedestrian Politics and Economics, at www.streetpolitics.us about losing Egypt. I allowed for cowardice and incompetence as the reason for the United States losing our influence in the Mideast and North Africa. Sadly, there seems to be a more devious reason. Obama is not and has not been working to protect the interests of the United States abroad. Quite to the contrary, he has been actively seeking 
the advantage of a few Muslim countries over ours. Look how far the administration has perverted its original stance on Iran. As just an example, we've been watching the White House lobbying Congress directly and through the press. They have worked strenuously to protect an agreement that provides this country with absolutely no satisfaction while facilitating the production of nuclear weapons by phony religious nutbags in Iran. Don't take my word for it. Take any news feed from 2009 forward. Watch the pattern develop. From their starting point, Obama has steadily backed away from the original plan of complete prevention of Iranian nukes and possible regime change to accomplish that goal. From the very start, the administration fought against sanctions. Throughout the process, they nagged Congress to lessen and then lift the sanctions. While the kabuki theater they called negotiations played out and sanctions were reduced, Iran became more bellicose. They were downright cocky. They were clearly told that Obama was in their corner, not in ours. Quote, negotiators would meet in plush surroundings in Geneva and go on record with phony positions, none of which were intended to go on paper in any real way. And as Iran raced to improve their nuclear program, the administration dug at its heels against the United States Congress. And elsewhere, it gets worse, my friends, much worse. Question. If Obama really wanted to keep Iraq stable and not make a mockery of the loss of American lives there, why would he have waited until 30 days before the expiration of the Status of Forces Agreement, SOFA, to do anything to maintain our interests. And when it was finally decided to act, why did he send Joe Duh Biden to do the heavy lifting? My previous answer in a PP&E blog allowed for stupidity. I now repudiate that assertion for one much clearer. Barack Obama, Commander-in-Chief of our Armed Forces, Chief Executive for the Government of these United States, fully intended to leave behind a power vacuum for his friends in Iran to fill. That same Obama wants the vilest of Muslim countries to have a nuke. The same Barack Hussein Obama fought the United States Senate in his attempt to preserve the power of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Fortunately, for citizens of Egypt, better people who don't think religious nutbaggery makes for good governments prevailed and ousted the nutbags, despite the assistance provided to the Muslim Brotherhood by Obama. The insanity continues. Obama knew he couldn't just walk away from Afghanistan, but even with the surge, a lame pretense of force costing American lives, Obama made it nakedly clear to those he favors there that they should just sit tight. We'll be gone soon. Hell, he announces every withdrawal with each strategic adjustment. And those who know better, Republican and Democrat, have allowed this to happen. Whether watching the cabal gather power unto itself domestically with Obamacare and illegal immigration activity, or to allow the cabal to ignore the laws in the cases of Fast and Furious, the IRS scandal, Bill's wife and her emails, those senators and congressmen have done 
the United States and their own institution a grave disservice. And they have compounded that immeasurably by allowing the president to sell us out to the power mongers in countries like Iran. As I write this, I feel like one of those guys who puts tinfoil on his hat to avoid government mind control. And yet the information is there. The behavior has been consistent from Libya to Iran, from fast and furious to inciting riots in Ferguson and Baltimore. This is a president on a mission to be the guy who gave the U.S. its comeuppance. The common retort in the face of anyone accusing the administration of duplicitousness or vacillation is the phony, well, what is the other option? War? The press has consistently failed to hold this nonsense up for the ridicule it deserves. In the case of Iranian nukes, for example, there are many options. The most obvious was to maintain sanctions through negotiations and through compliance. It was the sanctions that got them to the table. As soon as the party sat down, Obama started his push to lift the sanctions. The results are as stated above. I am sorry to say that the next president faces the Middle East, North Africa, Ukraine, Iran, and China with one hand tied behind his back. The present occupant of the White House has put us in a position far weaker than it should be. Whatever a conservative president might decide to do about these things and about our relationship with the rest of the world, he will have to do it on his own. Our allies will not come along until they are sure we mean business and ready to get results. In other words, until we rebuild the trust Obama has squandered. Our enemies will continue to thwart our interests to the same extent. So, prepare yourselves, candidates, when you step up and call all this international failure what it is, you will be labeled a nut, a sable rattler, a warmonger. If you agree with me, you can only be legitimately called a sanctions monger. But no matter. Stand tough. It is the only thing the voter and the rest of the world understand. The progressives and the media will have to be shown. Be sure to use all the buttons at the top and bottom of the text. We live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us today.